I'm uh, a little infused with the spirit of Mozart in this Mozart house in Augsburg. With me, Reinhard Goebel and uh, Miriam Kurzen. It's amazing how much I have learned this morning about Leopold, because the received wisdom is that he was the kind of child exploiter, the slave driver that he pushed Mozart around all over the world. And in fact, you know, he was such a learned and educated man. And you can see where all that learning of life came from that became so important to Mozart. Reinhardt, the spirit of Leopold, the context of Mozart's music is important to you, isn't it? Hearing it in the context of the time. Sure, since I think that, um, that Leopold Mozart guided his son from place to place in order to learn the gallant taste of the time, which was important since the placement of a composer depended on how he he was uh, the master of the styles and uh, certainly Leopold considered himself not a top composer, mm. otherwise he would have said, oh, honey, let's stay home and you learn my way of, of composing. But he showed him the different uh, the centers of Europe and I think without this influence of Mannheim, of Paris, of London, Mozart's uh, compositional style would have been completely different. Mm. So let's say the Mozarts were, if you compare them with the Bach family, a very modern family with two children only and not 20 or 16 in a row. Eh? Um, so it was a fortune of the young Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart to have this father and to learn with him the different styles of the different capitals, mm. but in general the, the galant style of the years uh, 1750 to 1780. And once he had absorbed all this experience and all this music on his travels. Was there an element of rebelliousness in the young man then to non-conform no, to not. break out? No, no, certainly not. The rebelliousness came when the first travel without the father, the travel to Paris, which started actually in Augsburg. Imagine that the boy was uh, 21 and that were the first days without the guidance of his father. Um, there was certainly not, not the slightest rebelliousness against the father's influence before. Now, you've recorded together, you and Miriam, the six Mozart violin concertos, not five, six. KV271A, which, Reinhardt, you, have you always been convinced that this was a genuine Mozart piece? No, I was um, only convinced when I started to work with it. Really? <laughs> when did you first see the score? <clears throat> Ten years ago, but that is not the question that one sees the score. One has to hear the music and then to, to compare the score with the other concertos. Um, so one sees that everything, every detail goes up logically between number, f number one and number six. The technical development, the length of the movement, the structure of the movement, everything is a bit to be compared. Number six is specially hidden because we don't have an authentic text, means we don't have a Mozart's handwriting, but I have, I have a very simple explanation for this. 
the number six is together with number four, the number one, um, the only concerto that has an international standard. So the number three, four, and five have this kind of Turkish and um, Alpine and Salzburgian style interludes in between. And only number six and number one are international con concerts with a big rondo at the end, mm. but a rondo without pompadum, uh, this kind of folk tunes. Mm. And therefore, it was really the easiest to sell this concerto. The question is, was it sold on the first travel to Paris or did somebody like Baron de Bagge buy it in the 80s in Vienna? That is the question. But we have as a heading over the text, composed the 17 Julio on 1777 in Salzburg. So alone this line could not be invented by somebody in the early 19th century or in the late 18th I century. We have another detail that Baron von Schiedenhofen writes, I was today in the rehearsal for, the, for a concert of Mozart's. There was performed a flute concerto, a symphony and a new violin concerto from 1777, it is from July. So there's no discussion. This must be the piece that was performed in mid-July in, in Salzburg. And you make an interesting point. There's a diary entry which uh, yeah. speaks of Mozart's sister yeah. and the idea that he would not produce an old piece to no. play for her. Certainly, yeah. certainly, but certainly not. Yeah, that's interesting. As a listener, the advance is dramatic. The orchestral writing is dramatically richer. Yeah, why not? solo part, a discernible development in technical requirements for it. I mean, tell us a little bit about the technique that gave birth to the earlier concertos and the advance in this other piece, the sixth concerto. I must say, it's really interesting because also for me, um, I have learned this concerto just just no, I haven't played it when I was when I was a child, like the other concertos. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was a great luck when we started to work together. The first pieces that we like, we worked on were actually concertos by Thomas Lindley and Francis Lamotte. Then knowing these pieces and having played music by Lamotte, I must say, if you play this 271A, I didn't think it was so much uh, of a, a development in a technical way because if you play Lamotte, you know he went up. Okay. Uh, you know, in the in the last centimeters of your fingerboard. That's why which, context which, is so important. Yeah. Yes, yes. Right. Which yeah. he didn't do in the other concerti, but he did. But it didn't seem so new to me because I thought, okay, Lamotte did the same. He was and he was influenced by that. Fascinating. Thank you. 
How important was Leopold Mozart's treatise on violin technique to both of you in terms of understanding performance style in these pieces? The pieces tell you how they want to be played. Yes. Um, you need bits of the technical historical background of the treatise, but it is not the guideline since the treatise is, is written to 56 and it reflects... Father Mozart's upbringing himself. The music is written 18 till 20 years later, and there is only development. A development if the old rules are ridiculed, otherwise it, we would stick still in the caves of the Stonehenge era. There are some things that one, especially the orchestra treatment, which I adopted to the style that he, Leopold Mozart writes in, but otherwise um, it reflects what Miriam already told. It reflects um, the influence of violinists like Lamotte, uh, since um, to be in, in a sort of competition with this style was very important for the young Mozart. So it cannot stick to the third position and uh, to the bowings of Leopold. Otherwise, we discovered in the latest uh, working period we have that perhaps the influence in some details of the ornaments, um, some details of C.P.E. Bach even do flow in. Since we do need to know that Leopold Mozart was so interested in the music theory of his time that he knew exactly what Philip Emanuel wrote about mm -hmm. trills. In violin music, you only write a trill, but sometimes it means bubble and a special ornament. That is, for me, much more important yes. to build him in the theory and in the practice of the coming time than in old-fashioned things yeah. that date from the 1730s. Yeah. Well, that's why your program last night worked so well, because we had context. And it was so interesting hearing the CPU Bach piece alongside the Mozart pieces. A big personality there. And then we have the Gluck, which is like an overture almost. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. You know, it's, it's only a theater piece. piece. Yes. It is not a, a symphony. symphony. Yeah. Yes, yeah. interesting. Miriam... What have you learned from re-examining this repertoire with Reinhardt? I think one of the most powerful experiences in the whole years that I've been playing the violin, because I have been playing those concertos for quite a while, learning them when I was seven, eight, nine already. And imagine then after 20 years you have to put this away, something that you have learned like your mother tongue, mm. you think. Mm. But that is in your system, mm. because you grow up with it. In a way, in the first moment, I thought, oh, it's kind of taken away from me. So it's a really like, you know, we have to kind of build up a new base that you stand on, and you realize that you have to do that. Mm. Of course, um, promoters request a lot of Mozart in their programs, and I've been playing it a lot. And I thought, how am I going to do this now? Because going on stage with those pieces, again, was a complete new feeling on stage, like I had never played this music before, actually. Mm. And I was at a point also where I thought, yeah, I have kind of an idea of these pieces. I, I do know what I want to say, but it, the score doesn't give me the, the information. What do I do? I can put a little more feeling here and there, and, but it was kind of vague. And going back to the roots and really look at the autograph and compare also and know about the context, about the, the other composers that Mozart was influenced by, yeah, gave me another language, if, if, if you want, um, but also greater freedom, actually. Yes, because well, I was going to say much clearer, freedom. Because much clearer in what, okay, now I really understand what he wants. 
in that sense that I have much more freedom because it's not so vague anymore. I go on stage and I know exactly what it is about. The greatest freedom achieved through the greatest discipline, as in so many cases. It's interesting to me, listening to the adagio of KB216 on the recording and last night, having grown up hearing it at half the speed. <laughs> um, and, you know, and what yeah. you lose is that vocal quality and yeah. the coloratura yeah. of the, you know, the shape Absolutely of the right. Yeah. And that really is revelatory. <clears throat> but let me tell you one thing. In opposite to, but to Miriam's experience, I hated Mozart always and I hated the way it was treated. My teachers, even my famous teachers, couldn't give me answers about why this way, why not the other way. Mm -hmm. And when I then started with my last teacher, with Sarchko Gavrilov, I made my debut with him and he said, yeah, I take you in my class and I said, Mr. Gavrilov, please no Bach and no Mozart since I do not want any opinion on this. I need my own time to tell you the truth. I started with Mozart when I was 50. Everything before was gone. My, my teacher, Franz Josef Meyer, he played a wonderful Hafner serenade. Um, I admired it very much in the time that I was a student. When I hear it now, then I think, okay, this was as old-fashioned as it was before. But um, we both treat the text in the critical way. Means nothing is changed just by a volonté means that Kudarche, the Mozart, he was still a violinist at that time. His father wrote, Honey, you don't know how well you play the violin. He changed into a piano player in the 80s when he started in Vienna. But when he composed it, I think that every Kudarche of the violin needs to be played, discussed at up bow or down bow, but it is pim pao. So these are four notes, and I never would allow anybody to cut it in pieces, uh, to make it two by two, uh, since then it becomes an adagio. So let's go to the utmost force uh, to realize what he has written first. So bim ti and then you come to a different tempo, certainly for the fast movements, don't change any bow. Another thing that is important for me is to judge the theoretical surrounding. Why is this one a three-quarter? Why is another movement a three-eight? Why is another movement a six-eight? So what does it mean for the tempos? I do say that Allegro over is not an allegro, since there is no allegro in the room, in the, in the air around us. There's only an allegro in comparison to three quarters or to three eight notes.
But this is something that most performers don't see, the technical or the theoretical base in the historical knowledge, in the knowledge of these times. And that is the most important step for me. Look, what does he quote? What does he reflect to? What is he built in? What is he building up? What is he building on? Yes. I just say, because you, you, you said about the, the second movement of the G major, I feel like it's a double tempo that what you're used to and of course for me it, it happened in the same way but you know if you go to orchestras these days and you go you have maybe one proper rehearsal and you go and that, my feeling was always yeah okay but let's please not play too slow and not really time to to, to change things in the rehearsal and this is so how do you say in English it sets you free or set me free yeah. to be able to play in this way and actually this 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 particular movement Uh, I got so much freedom through it because if you play it in this mm -hmm. old traditional yeah. tempo if you want, yeah. then every note gets the same um, pressure, pressure and, and you don't know anymore what is actually the meaning of which note is an embellishment or where does it go to. So the weight of every note becomes yes. the same and it makes everything being so difficult to actually find a way out of this And the effect of that it's uh, want, yeah. pizzicato too, it dances, it, it's there for a reason again and at the slow tempo you wonder why it's there, it doesn't have the same effect at all. so many surprises in this music. The finale of 218 last night, so many surprises in that movement. <laughs> it, you have no idea where it's going next. And surprises like that oboe, that sustained oboe note that... Beep. You, yes, you've you never heard it before. It's like a bagpipe suddenly uh, uh, yeah, appearing. That's right. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And, but uh, that is written forte. And I, but I can imagine that a soloist turns around and says, oh, could the oboe please um, play softer? But the oboe has only forte for himself, so he makes no matter what it is. And this is what, what I describe in most performers perform the public opinion Like in the 80s, there was not the third Brandenburg, there was the public opinion of it. Yeah. Nobody ever could have said, honeys, are we still in Allegro quarters? Bim, badadim, bididim, bididim, badadim, bididim, bum, 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 bididim, badadum. Since altos cannot play as fast, oh, so the altos play in Adagio and the violins play in Allegro or whatsoever. Yeah, well, let's see practical reasons. People did not rehearse, did not over-rehearse like we do these days. They had their text that was contemporary music and there wasn't forte. So play a forte. You said something very interesting in your notes for the booklet, Reinhardt, about um, these being 
scenes for violin, this equating with vocal and operatic almost, because there is a vocal quality to that movement particularly. There's a vocal quality in the invention since the day that Mozart was the first time in an opera in London, Leopold wrote the other day, uh, he wants to write operas now, and that was his basic idea to write operas. The other thing is, let's compare what the demands of a traditional violin concerto at this time were. It was um, the Nardini style, so the violin high up, or Leopold writes, uh, Nardini schreibt, uh, schreibt einfach, spielt einfach, so third position, but it is only two violins, so that constantly do and there is no discussion between the orchestra and the soloist. And this is as well for these days, for today, the advantage of the concertos. So let's say that they are so wonderful, interesting, but in the time it was a disadvantage since people said, oh, these are no violin concertos. This is much too much orchestra. This is much too much uh, elaboration. Look, Miriam has something like... And under this long note, which comes from singing, it comes not from violin playing. Who wants to hear long, long notes? So, is under there. You will not find another violin concerto with such a lot of orchestra participation. And that is um, a thing that one has to discover. And these are the places where most other interpretations fail, since they do as if the long note of the violin is the important thing, and what is done in the orchestra, which takes over the activity, is sort of hidden. And then you hear this long note and you think, why on earth this long note now? Analysis. Yes is the basement and is the reason of interpretation for me. There is also a theatricality about these pieces as well. Oh, sure. I mean, this is theatre. That oboe note is theatre. Because it's... Could be, heute kein Essen, heute kein Trinken. And the people would say... Yeah, he quotes things that we do not have anymore, like in the Galen Matthias music, the musical. Eh? Um, certainly, certainly, these pieces are, are fun on stage and they address the listener of the time with material that he knows. Speaking of the orchestra, you have found some kindred spirits here in Augsburg with the Bavarian Chamber Philharmonic Orchestra, only 14 years old. What are the key stylistic elements that you have explored with these players and why do you feel so comfortable or do you feel comfortable with them? I'm sure you do. I basically feel comfortable if I'm well enough prepared as a conductor with every ensemble outside Salzburg, where where they exactly know how Mozart has to be interpreted and played. Look, the Bavarian Chamber Philharmonic is a pick-up ensemble like everything else at these days. But since the quality of violin playing is so much moved forward, you can have an, an ensemble that is marvelous and, and fulfills your demands in two days. It 
relationship, it depends on what you tell them and what you ask them. And look, I'm still a violin player without violin, but I make a um, clear design of every orchestra part, how I want it to be performed. So I'm the melange between a concertmaster and a conductor and the tone master as well. Um, only thing that counts is how does a group respond to your ideas and uh, that works uh, basically very well. Yeah. And if you would ask me, the, why don't you insist anymore on original instruments? I would say since the original instruments movement sticks to what has been done 20 years ago, uh, this is no advantage for me at, at these moments. Uh, I go back to modern instruments, so that's part of my education program at the Salzburg Mozarteum as well, and I love modern players, yes. full stop. We cannot listen with 18th century ears, but do you think audiences are listening differently now with all this experience they've had of more sure more, sure more but, aware but the young players the young players that are grown up with either Nicholas Hanukur and Gustav Leonard and perhaps Reinhard Goebel and Christopher Hogwood these young players do play differently and the modern teachers so Miriam's colleagues do respond differently than 40 years ago to this uh, this movement. Nobody says, oh, how disgusting early instruments are. I'm not enough vibrato, and so this is all changed. about the instrument you play these concertos on and um, I'm interested to know whether you have a different instrument for the romantic repertoire for the later repertoire or whether you traverse both on the same instrument I actually play on the same instrument so I mm -hmm. have my uh, Bergonzi violin that I use also for this repertoire but I do have another bow uh -huh. which makes a, a yeah. huge difference the articulation gets much more precise and actually the, the things that are demanded that if you really watch uh, look into the to the score and you think how do we actually play this it is much easier than, than on the, the, the modern ball because the modern ball is longer and heavier so uh, you have to work in a different way and you actually have to kind of shorten the ball when you play so I would not play uh, without this ball again in this repertoire Mm. How much diversity of repertoire do you work with at the moment, Miriam? Next month embrace? I'm going to play Brahms and I'm going to play the Bartok concerto, so it's Great. it's this range <laughs> if you want. Yeah. What about your journey, Reinhard? Where might you be <laughs> headed next? <laughs> <laughs> if you really discuss the heading, I mean going forward, uh, it must be Beethoven number four since I do not see any need uh, going into the 19th century, which does not mean that I do not love that music, but I do not need to do everything I love. Eh? So I would not be prepared to do a Brahms violin concerto. But let me stick in the 18th century. I have a wonderful class in Salzburg, which I do teach as well, 17 as well, 18th century. And what I love is uh, doing Lindley and Lamotte concertos. So what I do not want to be a Mozart performer just for Mozart. I want to have these experiences from Jomelli and Gluck and Lamotte and Lindley and Sarti. And so this is what interests me most and what I also stick to. Mm -hmm. 